Right, let's go. Welcome to another episode of The Biofiles with myself, Edward, Dids and Jack. And um, this is a podcast where we take you through some interesting or relevant bio-based stories and we kind of just have a chat about them and hope you enjoy listening as we do. So this week is the, um, I forgot what I was going to say last time, but I was going to say half of ten, five. What is ten? Decker. Decker. Is there like a good word for ten? Ten is pin. <laughs> what what's what's five? <laughs> Wood. <laughs> Wood. Well, this is our wooden anniversary. <laughs> the fifth the fifth episode. Um and this is a special episode where we're gonna be taking you through cephalopods because they are such interesting creatures which we've been wanting to talk about since the podcast has begun and beforehand. And uh today we are gonna go through some of what we think are the most interesting bits. So, Diz, I realised that I usually pick on you to go first. So this week, Diz, do you want to go first? <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, why not? So I've chosen a complicated topic, which I didn't really... I didn't anticipate it being so complicated. I should have known, because they're so it's such intricate creatures. But I'm talking about the blue-ringed octopus and how he shows his blue ring, because contrary to popular belief, he's not always blue or ringed um he kind of cuts about plain bland i think in whatever color he likes he can he can do his camouflage patterns like uh a lot of octopuses can it's quite a common trait and it's quite it one of the most impressive i was going to go on to one of those but i thought it'd be too complicated i read i looked at one of the papers and it's just like poof, it's loads you know they can t- little fun little fact little stop code on straight away um you know they can <laughs> taste with their suckers so all eight arms can taste whatever they're touching. Um, what, what, does it, what does it look like? So I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what it looks like. Can I share my screen? Or... Well, no, so I, I then, I have searched it myself, but for the people who aren't on this, uh, who are listening to this podcast, who aren't able to see a shared screen, Ooh. do you want to take us through it? Got some dirty rings. Not an excellent descriptor. Because um, in my head, I was initially thinking of just like one blue ring around an octopus, but it's like ring around an octopus, like a halo. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's effectively spotted, and the spots are intricately. They they have um, they have lots of intricate details on the spots because of reasons I'll go into in a minute. Um, but they have uh, what's it called? Um, concentric circles, and the outer one is is dark is like brown pigmented depending on what blue ringed octopus there is because i think it's it's like a subset so they all look somewhat different and different colors um also different shades they've got like a darker background and then they have like a blue a really iridescent blue it's quite nice actually quite intriguing and then it gets lighter again another concentric lighter circle and then it, uh, then it's another black background or like a dark background to really bring out the contrast so it's quite obvious that that's a blue-ringed octopus. Um, and conveniently, when they feel scared or threatened, that's when they'll turn on their um, their flash. They'll flash it at you um, and kind of... And what's, oh, wow. and what's what's really cool is that they can make it blue, like on one side, and then they can make it less obvious on the other side of their body. Um, so they say that they, like, they, they've got like half of it is showing a warning signal on the other side is it because 
the way that they show these blue rings is all under neural control. So it's not like they're always blue or that they're randomly blue or that when there's a um, fight or flight emotion, like a physiological re- emotion that it goes they do it deliberately to flash and they have almost autonomous i'm pretty sure they have autonomous control over each one um which is crazy because imagine the brain power to do that i think it's difficult it's difficult yeah each each of these each of these kind of um neurons are there like there aren't there quite a few per kind of light emitting cell is it multiple per cell or is it multiple for like cluster cells sorts of things which is i don't know it's kind of like just tensing your muscle and how you can kind of choose to either like move one of your fingers on your hand to clench your fist or clench just one finger sort of thing it's, it's that much control over it isn't it yeah i mean From... i think it's even more really because they've got layers and layers um of skin to move uh unlike cells to move so it's not they don't actually light up it's not um it's not it's not fluorescent at all they don't emit so in the dark they won't glow or this one won't glow you know what? I don't actually know. Are there, are there any octopuses that glow that are luminous? That would be really cool. I don't think there are. I don't think there are. There might be some squids. I don't know about octopuses. Yeah, well, if there's any octopuses Maybe. listening, if you guys want to tailor your evolution <laughs> to light up, that would be sick. <laughs> um, just uh, just give us a few lights on the on Spotify and uh, <laughs> write into us at. <laughs> um yeah so like they don't actually light up they um they basically reflect light and they but what's nuts is that they control the wavelength of light that goes out to produce color on that pigment um it's it's incredibly crazy isn't it it's incredibly complex and you it's one of these things where you think how on earth has this led to to evolve It's, it's so phenomenal how well i don't know you can think about this a lot of things in biology like when you start looking into how things actually work you do wonder how on earth have we got to where we are and that's just as humans like when you look at all the other animals out there as well and things like octopuses and how they light up you think that is just it's so clever it's like so simple mm. but but clever but, uh, like, do you want to kind of take take through how how they do kind of light up and are able to emit these sorts of things because there are a couple of different cell types which are involved with it aren't there yeah well yeah so there's so they've got like chroma chromatophores which correct me if i'm wrong fellas are in chemi- chemically speaking that's a chemical that can absorb energy or light and then it emits a color with or a wavelength of that light or it reflects a wavelength in that color so blue if it shows up blue the chromatophore will release a wavelength of light which would be specific to blue i'm not sure what that is well it's, it'll be it would absorb all colors but blue wouldn't it? uh yeah and it reflects it would reflect the blue and then there's also this iridophore um, which I'm not really too sure what the difference is. It was something to do with um, all my little notes that I had. Um, I think I think I saw I came across that as well. I think the iridophores are the ones that give it the like metallic shiny color, yeah. As opposed to like the oil slick, isn't it? Octopus color, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they're the ones which make it more iridescent. And they is it also the irid- iridophores that control the wavelength of light? Not control the wavelength of light, but control the polarity i'm trying to think so when i was reading about it there are three different um chromatophores one of which is like brown i think it's purple and then another color and then with the iridophores that then is able to kind of make those colors look different depending on how much wavelength what wavelength of light is let in yeah 
And I've also got my notes Lucifer's, but I haven't put anything about it. I was going to say it's a Lucifer. We can vibe with that. We can vibe with Luco and Lucifer. <laughs> um, I, I understood the Lucifer's are the whiter ones, um, and they do like more of a pale colour. So most of the time, an octopus is kind of, well, I think his normal state is pale, creamy colour. You know, when an octopus dies, it kind of goes to that almost see through white colour rather than all these blue or, or like really light colourful um shades it's not like that anymore it's kind of they look lifeless they look plain i think that's i think that's the lucifers i think that's the rest of the state the lucifers are out. okay i think i think um it's really complicated there's so many different ones and they and my research said that they're they're layered so as you said um the iridophore controls kind of what color it is uh, or what color it shows up as um but the chromophore or the chromatophore i suppose would be Maybe it's the whole thing, or maybe the chromatophore. So I think, I think isn't the chromatophore at the base? Yeah. Of the like kind of the layers. Yeah. And you've got the either leucophore and or iridophore above that, and by changing the like kind of contractions with the the neurons which are going into it, you can kind of change how the iridophore is like the shape of the iridophore, which can then alter the light coming in. And therefore, the light coming out, which is reflected yeah. by the chromatophore. Yeah, I think that's as well as getting the metallic kind of sheen to it. Well, I think it's an option. I, I think that's I think that's one of the options because um, when these blue ringed octopus show up, they can be really uh, vibrant blues, or the same octopus in the same in, and that same ring can be like a darker blue or less shiny. It can just be. A pl- a, like a, not, I don't think we can move through the shades of blue, but I think we can move through how vibrant it is. And I think that's controlled by the uh, iridophores and the lucifores. I think. Um, I mean, there's just so many layers. There's there's so many things. I was just going to go through the really simple way of how they flash, uh, and that is like a muscle contraction around the skin pouch, which surrounds these. Um, uh, I'm just going to call them chromatophores as the general. As a, I'm going to refer to it as a general name. Because um, got uh, in the paper that I was reading that they they talk about the chromatophores being under neural control, and that would make sense. The chromatophore is the whole object, and it's all controlled, um, somewhat, like like that way. Um, and yeah, it just it's normally at resting state. It's surrounded by it's like a by the skin pouch, so there's no light coming in or out. It's not showing a circle, and then the muscles will contract. Uh, so it's an active process. And that skin pouch will open uh, and then it opens and the light can come in. So that then the light can be reflected back out. It can control and filter the way it goes. <clears throat> and I think it polarizes the light as well, um, which is a really interesting thing because they're talking about the visual communication and how they emit or how they reflect this light is in changes at different water depths. Um, so, I think it's longer wavelengths of light don't transmit as well through deeper water. Um, I presume that's because it gets stuck at the surface because it can't penetrate as far because obviously the light, all the light will come from the sun. But the point is that they can change it. They can change the way that they reflect the light and the mechanism by which they reflect the lights at different water depths. So they're aware of how deep they are. To, to achieve the same goals. Like they, can still have the, they can still have the concentric... Um, fluorescent blue rings mm-hmm. at deeper depths 
by kind of altering the wavelengths coming in. Yeah. Just regards the wavelength of what it to is, communicate. Okay. Yeah. So at the start, I said it's like a warning. It's like when they're either scared. Not typically, animals respond because they're scared, and that'll be they'll be showing out a warning. They feel threatened, so they give out a warning. And this is their version of a warning. They flash their blue rings uh, because in nature, those vibrant colours indicate something being poisonous, and quite conveniently these animals are poisonous <laughs> so all, all octopuses are poisonous no no yeah. wait I, all of them they, they are yeah all, all octopuses are poisonous oh really i didn't realize yes yeah, so they've got poison in their saliva so that kind of when they um when they kind of prey or feed in their prey it paralyzes them briefly and that can be there's one ah uh, there's one octopus which has enough poison to kind of kill a human in a bite <laughs> do you know what that octopus's and, name is <laughs> it's the blue ringed octopus no it's not really yeah. no way. the blue ringed octopus has enough uh, poison to, to kill a human wow and it's crazy because well, yeah. they're tiny in my notes I just put look into this more so I'm glad <laughs> that, that you have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this did it for you yeah. so is that in, in one bite has enough um, uh, enough it's difficult because they make these reporters make like these sweeping science, these sweeping suggestions or sweeping statements that when you when I looked into the distribution of poison in uh in this octopus, they found that it had so the the poison is tetradoxin, um and tetradoxin might sound familiar because if you like sushi, uh or like fit uh, just fish, um can you edit that out? Because that sounds so stupid. If you like sushi, tetradoxin is something you probably would have come across if you want if you like puffer fish or if you're intrigued to try a 5,000 pound meal of puffer fish because puffer fish, the poison in them is tetradoxin and they can only be eaten if they're prepared in a certain way, which I think removes the tetradoxin or maybe makes it less uh, biologically inactive so that you can eat it. Um, Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think it's only in certain organs of the fish that have the poison. So as long as they're very, very careful about removing it, then you're right. Well, that's, is that what, is that what dolphins use? Because have you heard yes. the dolphins play with puffer fish yeah. to, yeah, to kind of hallucinate a bit? So is that through the tetradoxin or is there another? I think so. Hallucinogen. In yeah, there? I think I think they're um, immune to it, or they have some sort of resistance to it, um, or maybe it's something wow. to do with the mix of chemicals that are released. It's not maybe maybe they're completely immune to the tetradoxin. There's like a vehicle that uh, is secreted to help absorption they get high on that maybe i don't know but tetrado- or they're they're the dolphins of silicon valley and they're actually just microdosing <laughs> to make sure yeah, yeah. they learn how to talk they're continuing that <laughs> uh, um anyway the point i was trying to get to is that uh, it's difficult to say where uh, all this where this tetradoxin is whether it's um all in one bite could kill a human because there's a study that they did to find out where the tetradoxin is located in the body of the blue ringed octopus and it's actually all over it's in higher concentrations in the saliva because that's where oh, it's okay. going to deliver it most of the time but they found they found i read this one quite a while ago found like eight percent in one of the tentacle tips so it's all over it and i'm not sure whether they could admit if anyone's had a look whether they could administer tetradoxin through their um tentacles or whether it's just through a bite i think it's just through a bite um yeah i okay. could be wrong but if it's in the t- if it's in the tip of the tentacle then if it's an open, it depends how the toxin works. If it doesn't need to have an open wound, then surely that would be enough. Well, the toxin is a. Let me get this right. Is a sodium channel blocking neurotoxin. So 
and it's and the, that should work on the skin then. It, well, it depends how it's absorbed. It depends if it depends what vehicle it's in to get through the skin. If it has to be, it would have to be like a hydrophobic thing, and I don't, I don't know how easily that would absorb to fish in a hydro in water. Um, <laughs> sort of word I was trying to look for there. Um, but yeah, the way that the, the way the tetradoxin works is it causes like a dose dependent muscle paralysis. Um, so you effectively, if you were to be poisoned with tetradoxin, you would effectively suffocate because your respiratory muscles would stop working. Um, it, it, in sufficient, in a lethal dose, I'm pretty sure the, okay. the way you would die isn't through like mad toxicity and you burn up and die like that. It's because your it stops your respiratory muscles from functioning properly, so you can't breathe and then you die. Or it would stop wow. stop your maybe it would stop your heart beating because it can't because I mean sodium potassium pumps are involved in muscle contractions aren't they and also neuronal stim, stimulus um, neuronal transport so it's sodium potassium isn't it concentration gradients is it is it blocking them at the at the synapse so would it be the synaptic kind of cleft is blocked? I did I did look into mechanisms because I knew that'd be um, quite a big one but yeah it could do anything that sounds quite similar to that's similar to Botox as well, because I know that Botox kind of like botulin, puts your, yeah, sorry, the botulinum to, uh, toxin, um, that puts your muscles into paralysis because it just prevents contractions um, from occurring anymore. We um we shall move on to tomorrow, and I was, I was thinking in my head, we'll try and keep them to, to 15 minute segments because uh, it'll make it a lot easier to edit, but as ever, I just get so carried away, they're so interesting, what we talk about, you kind of don't want it to stop. Mm. But we do have to at some point, so... I shall discuss mine. This um this week I decided to read up on how octopuses sleep as there was a study which came out in the past year. I think it might have been twenty-two, potentially twenty-three, um, which was studying the ways the octopus sleep or, or what's the plural of octopus because is it you can use anything octopi octopuses. i've i've only seen octopuses o- octopuses yeah, yeah. it's octopuses. something to do with latin and latin versus greek i think well it's, yeah because it's greek as we always go into it is greek and it just stands for head foot is that, is that right <laughs> yeah because that they're a mollusk <laughs> yeah yeah, cephalopod stands for head foot because they basically just have a head and a foot. Yeah. Well, the head and the legs. Which actually, we should. Uh, the Greeks were wrong. Idiots. Bloody idiots. It's because it's not people. a head. It's not a head at all. It's a mantle, which um, gives us no indication of what it actually means. But what a mantle a is, head. is a kind of. A, a, no. <laughs> 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 it's a sack no, which they hold their their organs in it's like you'll find their um their their organs their organs in there <laughs> their uh their hearts and stomach. i don't think of what organs they'd have yeah the stomach i don't think they have a pancreas but they have I'm several sure they'd hearts. have a liver they do have well three is it two or three three they can survive i was three, three the lobe, four, yeah the lobed heart which I think if we don't talk about it today, it will definitely have to be a um, something of the next episode. Mm. And that's the thing with octopuses. There's so much to talk about. It's just going to have to that's be a, uh, a feature. Number 10. But yeah, number 10. So previously, previously on Surfle Park, cuttlefish have been found to have 
kind of sleep cycles. And octopuses hadn't really so much before this paper. Like they, how, like octopuses have been observed to sleep, but kind of how they sleep, um, this study was looking a bit further into. We all know that with humans, we have REM, which is the deep sleep, and then you have some light sleep. And during this REM sleep is when kind of we consolidate our thoughts. And it's a time of which I think it's during REM where like our body kind of detoxifies. So kind of makes, um, gets rid of toxins and kind of the baddies in your blood and your, your lymphatic system um, kind of breaks them down so that we're kind of fresher as beings because during the day you're putting a lot of metabolic strain under your body by just doing exercising, just breathing and stuff that it needs a time to be able to clear these, clear these out of the body. So the question was, can octopuses undergo REM sleep as well? And this study kind of, it, it caught, I think, three or four octopuses from the sea and then just kind of observed them and, and filmed them as they were sleeping. And they are able to find that there were different sorts of sleep which the octopuses had. So they kind of had one where they were just kind of chilling with their eyes open and you can't I think they couldn't really tell if it was active or if they were alert initially or asleep with their eyes open and um I say pupils open and there's another state where the pupils were closed and then the cool states which they had was one which where one, one eye was just like kind of moving around and looked like it was looking at stuff which is almost indicative of like single eye REM sleep because during humans REM sleep your eyes can flick back and forth behind your eyes um which is why it's called REM it's rapid eye movement but then the really cool ones were there was a state in which the octopuses which they were studying, and I should say they were studying not the common octopus, octopus vulgaris, but they were studying the octopus insularis. And it half of its body would go dark and kind of change change colour from the other half of its body. And then suddenly the other half of the body would then go dark while the other half goes light. And it's almost like a perfect, um, perfect symmetrical line down down the middle of their body which looked really cool and the other one was kind of their most active state of sleeping which was i say most active but they they weren't active where the colors were changing rapidly as well as the textures and it's something we didn't really touch on your your area did but with their different um cells and cell types which they have to control their camouflage they can also control the texture so they can make their pilis and their skins so the pilis are kind of these little um how do you how do you describe a pili it's like a little projection of cells so projection of a cell a a cell projection um they're able to modify or modify these to look like their surroundings as well so that's why you might see a picture of a octopus disguised as a coral reef because it's able to change these pilis to look like coral reefs and um so these were going crazy and changing all these textures the color was was switching kind of on and off and their eyes were going a bit mad as well so kind of like REM sleep just just witnessing these sleep states wasn't enough to say they're undergoing REM sleep because that could just be like they're awake and just kind of trying out some different things or it could be that they are actually asleep and this is them undergoing potentially a REM cycle and in in humans we go through something called an ultradian rhythm which is um you go between this this deeper sleep the REM and the lighter sleep where you might have seen the graphs before because I think sleep's getting a bit more um, in the mainstream, kind of, of switching between these two phases of like REMs when you're sleeping and then you go into your lighter sleep where you're not sleeping so much, you're just kind of almost dozing and you're you're more easily awakened. 
And what I also found interesting is birds uh, do this as well. So birds have been shown to undergo REM to to quiet sleep cycles, this ultradian rhythm. And so have some reptiles as well. And they were saying that um, they class them as amniotes, which I hadn't heard before. And an amniote is a sort of animal which has the specific type of embryo, which we have, which is shared between reptile, birds and mammals. And all of these undergo these these changes in sleep cycle. So it, it kind of led to this suggestion of if we're seeing this state, which we're seeing in humans, is it enough to be able to suggest that they are undergoing a REM sleep? And the question is, are do octopuses dream? It should be said that our closest common ancestor, so between vertebrates and cephalopods, was over 500 million years ago, which was a, uh, I think it was a, a flatworm, was our our most, sorry, most recent common ancestor. So it was at that point where our two lineages diverged and they kind of went on their own evolutionary route where we went on our own. And the evolution of sleep appears to be quite a selective pressure because if um, if octopuses are undergoing it as well as humans, and Drosophila, which is this fruit fly, they also undergo this act of sleep as well. And they're on a different um, kind of evolutionary branch of the tree to we are. Um, it suggests that, or it kind of tells us more about the fact that sleep is important evolutionary. I, will, I, I did want to ask, actually, while I have the floor, I suppose, while I've taken it, um, how do they measure, like, or how do they confirm that um, it's kind of reacting and it's not just, you know, if you prod someone if they're asleep, they kind of, or you like, I don't know, you're at sleepover and you'd like shout something. Some people, they react, people can react, but they're not consciously reacting, they're just reacting. How do they confirm that they've actually woken up? They were trying to prove that it was asleep rather than trying to prove that it was awake, really. Yeah. So the fact that it responded slower when they thought it was asleep does kind of confirm it. Support yeah. that it wasn't yeah. actually asleep. That's true. It wasn't that's... just sat still but wide awake. Yeah, that's no, that's cool. That is, yeah. But yeah, it's, re- it's really interesting what you're saying about the last uh, common ancestor we have with them. Like, it makes you wonder if sleep, like, if that little flatworm thing that we both evolved from, if that also went through sleep, or if sleep is something that is developed, like, independently, you know, twice, once in vertebrates and once in invertebrates. Um, um, I find that really interesting because in, in this book, I think it's called Octopus Mind, um or something like that it basically goes into the the divergence of human and um octopus i'm gonna say like neuron system because it's more than just like the brain it's like decentralized brain basically Uh, and it talks about it it being different it's not it's not divergence it's not divergence it's convergence convergent evolution which we don't you don't hear about that too much in evolution but that's when two things have evolved independently to kind of reach the same endpoint, rather than one thing kind of starting out and then diverging away into two substantially different endpoints. Which um, it it's when you see convergence evolution, it kind of suggests that this is the best thing nature can create because it's created itself in two independent sorts. Which is just something really interesting to say. Sorry, I interrupted you no, halfway no, through it's... your. Uh... But Jack, what you're saying, so we. It's not just the fact that both of us sleep. So sleep is is witnessed in um, many different animals. So the distinguish go uh, the distinguishment here is the fact that it's this these cycles of sleep. So the the fact that they go between REM sleep or REM 
looking sleep, which is actually called active sleep and kind of a light sleep. And it's the Good this ultradian rhythm, as I as I mentioned, non REM. No, it is N N REM. It's called it's it was called uh, that's true in humans it's called N REM in animal studies it's called quiet sleep because I think you can't just say it's if it's following what humans are doing it's like human sleep we, we can't quite do that um, because mollusks which are kind of what cephalopods then descended from I think they are are they are they classed as a mollusk yeah, or are they, they are. yeah a descendant of so yeah other mollusks then or, or more um more di- or related mollusk species they sleep but they don't undergo active sleep they are, they're only in this one sleep state so therefore if you kind of do the same experiments with them i think you'd find that they were kind of responding it took the same time to respond to the um stimulus in all of their sleep cycle whereas for cephalopods you can see there's a distinguishment between the time taken to respond to the stimulus which is suggesting this REM sleep and they're also um, kind of presenting these different behaviors while under this REM sleep as well. And it's um, if I, I shall add the paper to the show notes, which I think we should all, as, as a side note, I think we should all send whatever we're reading in. And I should start adding those yeah, the, um, descriptions. But yeah, t- take a look because it's if you're interested, it's a very fascinating, um, fascinating thing to to well, observe. I just two thoughts when you're saying that, like they get more vulnerable because they respond slower right compared to their like cuttlefish but they also have a period of time where they can evolve or where they can think about something and kind of like ha- have that kind of development the the higher level thought which is really cool it's the yeah the pro they it's potentially they could be processing thoughts and things in this mm. in this sleep as humans do because they they think that REM sleep is really good for kind of collecting your thoughts together and that's why they sometimes they sleep on it because it, it kind of reorders your mm. your memories and your actions that day into potentially a more um understandable kind of sequence which you can then then go on for well use to I'm rattle on a bit use to understand something a bit more later on down the line I, the stuff I was looking at was very similar to your topic, Ed. Um, it was all about the nervous system that octopuses have, because like you said, they evolved their nervous system almost completely separate to us. Um, I think that little flatworm ancestor that we had had like a very basic nervous system, um, but nothing as complex as theirs or ours nowadays. Um, and it's resulted in them having like this really weirdly structured nervous system so for example in humans 99% of our neurons are in the brain like everything is controlled by the brain um but little little stop code on um what would you say the ratio in their nervous system is brain to like other neurons so in their brain versus the rest of their body what would you say the ratio is Oh, um, do we know what it is in humans? Oh, sorry, ninety-nine percent. You said, yeah, pretty much, yeah. I, I s- let's go for. I'm saying forty. Seventy. So Diz Diz wins on that one. Very close. Uh, it's thirty-three. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, thirty-three wow. percent in the brain, and the the vast majority of it is actually in the rest of their body, in their tentacles, but well, in their arms. Sorry. Um, and the rest of their body, yeah. 
So how would you... I was trying to get my head around this. How would you kind of relate that? So if we were 38% brain outside of our actual brain, sorry, 30% of neurons outside of the brain, how mm. would that look like on us? How, how would we feel if that was the case? Cognitive well, essentially the way it works with them is each, each arm has its own like processing center, basically. Um, so each arm can, to a certain extent, sort of think for itself um, and control its own movement. Um, and so, yeah, essentially they outsource a lot of their information processing mm. to their arms, whereas we do all of our thoughts um, in our brain. Like every movement we do is coordinated by the brain, from, whereas with them, if it's like a, reflex if it's a simple thing. Yes, yeah, knee-jerk reactions and stuff like that are pretty much the only time the information doesn't have to go via the brain in humans. Um, and that goes not... via the central nervous system, doesn't it? It goes to the spinal cord, and then your spinal cord can kind of understand. Well, not understands it's not the, the right reflex loop. Just, it has the, the reflex built in, isn't mm. it? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. It, it? Yeah, sorry, the reflex loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like your, your knee is able to just communicate. Well, no, it, yeah, you're right. It goes to your spine. Your spine there's some like very basic processing of that information then it sends it back down your leg to make you do a knee jerk um with octopuses they're like way more way more complex because obviously like you said they've got all those taste receptors in their legs so how much um, actual the camouflage how, how yeah that's that's kind of answered the question before i've even asked it how much like actual cognitive power do they have like what kind of what's the level of decision making that they can make obviously you just said camouflage that's pretty big well, yeah, so with the camouflage and to a certain extent with the movement of their arms, a lot of that is just sort of instinct driven. You know, it doesn't really, you know, it's, it's like us, like moving your arm doesn't require the same level of thought as, you know, contemplating your own existence mm. or anything like that. Like it, but it all goes through the same organ in humans. Whereas in octopuses, if it's a fairly basic thing like moving or tasting or something like that, they just sort it out locally. They don't bother sending all that information all the way to the brain process it there send it all the way back they just deal with it locally Got you. and actually what they can do as well is um say one arm needs to communicate with another arm it doesn't it still doesn't have to go through the brain the arms can actually communicate with each other without having to go via the brain oh, so, um, how do, how so it's that really happen? only is that physical yeah how yeah it's they... just the way that their nervous system is laid out it doesn't all loop back through the brain it it's sort of structured in a sort of triangle i guess so between it'll, it'll go back to like the central all the different arms and then come out to the other arm yeah i think so yeah they're all sort of like linked up in a network but it's not forced <laughs> to go all back through the same place like our one is because it takes takes a shortcut yeah yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah yeah when you said that i thought you meant like two hands would be talking to each other um and I was, yeah, that is or like puppets, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like chemically or something. <laughs> well, I guess chemically it is because it's going through the mm. nervous system well, instead of like talking through the air. I mean, it's, it's, it's going yeah, through. It's, it's not a silly statement. Like uh, plants c uh, can communicate chemically with it's with their neighbors. They release um, like hormones to to talk when there's predators nearby and whatever. And it can lead to thickening of stems and production of thorns and whatnot. that's true so well so that's why giraffes eat up wind 
What? Because downwind, sorry. That giraffes eat downwind of the trees. Because the trees, they release these, um, release these chemicals oh. which will cause the next tree to kind of go quite rancid and that yeah. can taste, I think, quite acidic. So it will, it will then release its kind of protection mechanisms, one of which is making it kind of a bit more um, disgusting mm-hmm. to taste. So the giraffes, I think, have... I think they consciously do it. They will eat downwind so that the, um, the chemicals aren't being able to get to like, the trees, which are further up. That is so road, cool. Which, which is cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, cool. I would like to hear slightly smart, more about smart this boys. brain. Well, I can go on more about giraffes if you want to talk to yeah. Episode six. I'm quite liking the giraffe segue <laughs> as well, to be fair. I saw I saw another experiment as well, um, which it it's similar to that, but it also links up with their camouflage. So apparently their arms also have photoreceptors in them, so to a certain extent they can sense the light around them to sort of inform their camouflage mm. um response. Uh and again they did a thing where they, they chopped the arm off put it in like a different color environment to the one they just taken it from um and yeah the arm would turn the color of the environment even though it's no longer connected to any eyes and the eyes were in like a separate tank mm. wow. so that's that well i wow. almost evidence for the point that i made earlier about like tasting the color almost or t- tasting the surface that they're on because there's no way that the eye can see that that's yeah that's incredible and apparently octopuses are Colorblind as well, they can't see. I think they only see in grey. It's not even colorblind. They just don't have. I heard that actually. Photo, yeah. color, <laughs> color. So they would be colorblind. How do you hear that? Did <laughs> it would be colorblind. Um, so they can, yeah, kind of sense that they they sense their environment without seeing it through the eyes, which yeah, which means that they like they're turning into these colors which they can't even perceive themselves. Well, they must be able to perceive them because they're turning into them, but which they their eyes can't process which is i, I think i read somewhere that it was it was these photoreceptors in the skin that maybe inform the color because mm. yeah i don't think their eyes can necessarily... which i guess that then is seeing color isn't it because if the if the photoreceptors can sense the colors then mm. but they... i don't i don't think it gets it's not like it would form the mental image that's being formed in their brains you, you get what I mean? Like, I don't think they're mm. seeing through their yeah. arms. I think it's, if anything, it'd be almost like they could smell the colors or taste the colors. Yeah, but that's how taste that's how we perceive color. Taste the like, uh, it's like how bats can see with sonar. Like, we would, you would kind of hear that it's over there. It forms like maybe a mental picture. That's how we kind of break it down to understand it because we're visual creatures. So I guess like they yeah. would, well, they, they wouldn't see the color, but color to them might be a completely different abstract just what's it called um i don't know the word i'm looking for it's just abstract concept that's what i'm trying to think of it's not seeing it it's like it would have a different property to yeah them. and that's really interesting that is really cool well um we're talking about legs we should mention octopuses have eight legs no, oh i read I'm it was jo- arms i'm only joking yeah it's arms <laughs> um what i was going to say is that octopus one of the one of the arms of the octopus is their reproductive arm mm. which has the do you guys remember I what it's called coming no and it's not it's not a penis willy um Spom. it is the Spom. <laughs> give me two two sets <laughs> it's nuts the heterokai hetero so heterocotylus heterocotylus there we go and this um this has their their sperm 
I think it's in sacks within yeah. the um, within this arm. Hadrocyclus. I'm not going to say it again. Um, and they during reproduction they can oh, during reproduction some octopuses will just kind of break off this arm and give it to the mm. female. <laughs> she then just stores in her mantle for later use. And then when she decides to take it, she'll then she can use it then to um to to reproduce with. But as soon as the male well not as soon as the male after the male does this, there's then just a short uh they've only got like a short left time left to live. <laughs> I was just thinking, imagine if you like kind of gave your your sperm arm to your yeah. to a, significant not significant other to a female and then she just like stores it like yeah cheers mate and then just like kind of throws <laughs> it away when you're not looking in for a rainy day yeah <laughs> yeah i'll just put this in my mantle <laughs> <See you later. laughs> cheers for the shells what a what a loser <laughs> it's interesting you say that about the um the males dying soon after though because i've read a similar thing about the females where um they essentially, they don't age that quickly. You know how you're saying they only live like a couple of years, really? Yeah. Um, apparently, they don't really age that much until they um, give birth. Give birth is the wrong word. They, until they lay their eggs, I guess. Um, and only then do their cells do their cells actually start aging. Wow. Ah, really? Yeah, they found that if you um, either make them infertile or just keep them separate from any males that they can't mate, they live like five or six years compared do they, to two do I they think. degenerate in the same way that we think we do with telomeres shortening i i i think it's more i don't well they haven't they haven't investigated fully but by the sounds of it it's sort of like once they've laid their eggs their their bodies kind of know that you know they're done with evolutionarily so like they just they just sort of tell the body to start like shutting down and all the cells become sort of aged but i guess very, if they're not prematurely if they're not teaching their offspring then that makes sense because they've kind of they've done their mm. life's work haven't they yeah so essentially uh, guess, what they yeah. do is they they stay in their dens protecting the eggs until they hatch and just getting it, weaker and weaker and sort of older and saggier they don't go out and feed do they which is no it's weird no. They, yeah they just they, and that can take what is it the gestation period is months it's um it's quite quite a few months, mm. five months. So yeah, the gestation period can can be up to so five months of just withering, waiting for your that's your eggs. And it's a hundred thousand. I've got in it. Hundred thousand to five hundred thousand eggs can be laid. And yet they only bank on one reproductive cycle. They don't try and go for another term. Like a lot of animal mm. seasons, they go like once a year, once every two years, or whatever. They're just going to do it once, and that's it. I guess a hundred thousand eggs. At least is like a large metabolic cost to to produce all mm. your eggs in one basket, quite literally. But they there. could just do like a thousand and then try again next year or something. Do we have anything more we wanna wanna say? Because time's up on on Jackie as well. Um, just that they're bloody awesome. Can't wait for number ten when we get back into them. Yeah. So for those listeners out there, write in if you want to see this in episode ten. Um, That'd be great. If you don't, still write in, but we won't we won't listen to it because we are gonna do this as a at least one more episode, maybe even a continual feature. Every uh every wood anniversary be five years. <laughs> five years. Every fifth, um, fifth episode. We might do an episode on cephalopods, which is a little teaser, so you're gonna have to stay stay tuned. Obviously listen between them because they will still do interesting stories, but uh 
there's more just to maybe come. they'll Don't be Seth worry. related maybe to finally end things i'll give you a question of or maybe even a joke why can't an octopus get a vaccine <laughs> because it's got too many arms that's what i was gonna say yeah. <laughs> can't decide what arm to get in um, it's not a joke. We don't do jokes on this podcast. It's because they do not have an acquired immune system. They can't form <laughs> antibody-producing cells. This is all this science, science, guys. And lucky. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Tune into the the funny files if you want some jokes. This is the biofiles, baby. <laughs> Good night. Anyway, on a, on that note, yeah, thank you very much, Jack and Diz. We are the biofiles. Um, we hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. You can find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, iTunes. Um, I don't think we're on Deezer, but I don't think anyone uses Deezer anymore. I don't think anyone ever did use Deezer actually. And uh, I think most places you can find your 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 podcasts. Audible. We might not be on Audible, but anyway, YouTube. We're on YouTube as well. And we also do have a uh, website, which is www.thebiofiles.co.uk, which I've spent hours tirelessly curating, so please check that out. And um, you can also email us at thebiofiles2022 at gmail.com, I think. Um, That might be the right email address. Try it, and if it bounces back, I'll get back to you next week. And um, so, thank you very much, Dids, and thank you very much, Jack, and we shall catch you for episode six, which won't be on cephalopods, but will be on something both biological and interesting as ever. So thank you very much, and see you next time. Bye.